love with my Savior and He's in love with me. He is with me from day to day. What a friend is He. Watches over me while I sleep and He hears me when I pray. I'm as happy as I can be. Now I can say, somebody loves me and He answers my prayer. I love somebody. I know He cares. Somebody tells me not to reply. That somebody is Jesus and I know He's mine. You'll be happy if you will let Jesus have His way. He has work for us all to do every passing day. Feed the hungry and cheer the sad for the sinner pray. You'll have joy that you've never had, then you can say. Somebody loves me and He answers my prayer. I love somebody. I know He cares. Somebody tells me not to reply. That somebody is Jesus and I know He's mine. When at last all our work is done, He will call us home to a mansion He has prepared. Appreciate that, ladies. Wonderful song. Wonderful song. Wonderful Savior. It's not a wonderful Savior. And, uh, man, we have a wonderful God. His mercy is so, so generous. His goodness is undeserved. His graciousness is renewed every morning. And it's uh, such a blessing uh, to know what kind of God we have. And um, we're going to look tonight and learn a little bit about our God about us as a church, about what we can do to be more like God. And I want you to turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. A few faces I don't recognize in the service this evening. If you're visiting here tonight um, and you're looking for a church, I'd encourage you to come back uh, when the pastor's here. I'm not the pastor. I'm just the assistant pastor. And um, I want to encourage you to come back and hear our pastor preach. Uh, He has been ordained as the, the head of this flock, not me. I'm just filling a position while he's away and uh, so I'd encourage you to come back we love our pastor he's taking a little bit of vacation doesn't do it very often and so we're glad that he gets a chance to get away for a little bit you should be in Jeremiah chapter 18 but I am going to read from Revelation chapter 3 and uh, if you would just listen 
uh, this, mo- or this evening. Uh, I want to read a little portion of Scripture that's very familiar to us. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. In Revelation, we see the prophecy of what or how a certain group of people will end. The church of Laodicea. And I think we're all, or most all, well aware that the church of Laodicea is the church that we're in today. That is the age that we are living in, the Laodicean church age. And it's an age of the demise of the church, as we know it. It's really the end. And here we see a prophecy of destruction. The church of God no longer hot or even cold for that matter, but rather lukewarm. And because we as a church, the Laodicean church, had fallen into that trap, he said, I would spew thee out of my mouth. The description of the Laodicean church is lukewarm concerning spiritual issues. The people are content, feeling as though there is no spiritual need in their lives, nothing that needs to be addressed or worked on. People don't understand the Laodicean church. They don't understand really how poor and miserable and wretched and naked they actually are. How much they're in need of repentance. However, I want to point something out tonight. That this prophecy is not one of the prophecies in the Word of God that is set in stone. Not every church in the Laodicean church age has to be this church. Not every people have to be this people. Because he goes on to say that you can repent. And, I, and, and he says, I, I challenge thee, I encourage thee to buy of me, to come back to me and understand your need. And so tonight I want to bring a message the Lord has laid on my heart, how to avoid a prophecy of destruction. How to avoid a prophecy of destruction. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, for its immutable power. Lord, and how you know exactly what we need when we need it. Lord, I trust that you are a God who sees and knows all. You led me to this passage. You led me to these scriptures. You led me to this thought. So, Lord, I'm trusting that this is what you have for us tonight. And as such... I pray, Lord, that our ears would be attentive and our hearts would be receptive to change. Lord, I know in my heart, deepest heart of hearts, that I do not want to be this church. I believe in this room tonight sits a group of people who does not want to be the church in Laodicea. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Scripture has to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Revelation chapter 3, In verse number 18, the Bible says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, 
And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. As I mentioned before, we see the caveat to this prophecy, that this prophecy is not set in stone, that there is a chance for the church to repent. The people of God. Now, as a whole, let me be clear. This will not be the case. Because it is the demise of the church as we know it. But there will be a remnant There will be a group of people by choice who decide they are going to follow after God. And that's that's the direction I want to come tonight because, uh, Brother Dean, I know you believe the Word of God and you believe that it's true. What is our church age today? The Laodicean. All right, Brother Jurgen, I know that you believe the Word of God. You believe that God is not a liar. He doesn't make stuff up. He only tells us what is true. What church are we in today? We're in the Laodicean age, we see it, and I could go across this room, and unless you're going to go 100% in opposition against the Word of God, you all would have to confess that we are in the Laodicean church. That means that we are all, listen, we are all prone to the symptoms of the Laodicean church. That means we all tend, we all have these tendencies to say that we are in need of nothing. That is who we are. And I want us to understand before we go any further the direction that we as a church tend to go without keeping the Word of God in mind. This is our natural tendency to be the church of Laodicea. But if we're going to avoid this prophecy of destruction... There's some instruction for us in the Word of God, a simple recipe. I want you to take a sheet of paper if you have it. If you don't, get something out. Get a bulletin, grab a pen. I want you to take that sheet of paper, and I want you to put four A's right down the left side of that sheet of paper. Four A's. One, two, three, four. And with those A's, we're going to fill in a recipe on how to avoid this prophecy of destruction. I think we all want to pass this test, don't we? An A is what we need. And so I'm going to give you four of them tonight. How to avoid this prophecy of destruction. I ask you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. And the reason I ask you to turn there is because there is a parallel event to what is happening in Revelation chapter 3 going on back in the Old Testament. And it's the destruction of Israel. God's chosen people. There are so many similarities here that it just astounded my mind. and, And I see very plainly how we can... Avoid this prophecy of destruction. So in Jeremiah chapter 18, the people of Israel have fallen into the same state as the church of Laodicea. They don't see a need for God. They don't see a need for change. They feel they're okay. They feel that things are going all right for them. There's there's nothing really major I need to work on. All right? Same attitude as the church of Laodicea. And God sends the prophet Jeremiah. And here's Jeremiah. He's brought to proclaim judgment against the children of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse number 1, it says, In the word of the Lord, or I'm sorry, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessels he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make. I want you to notice with me this morning just the beginning. I find some irony right here at the opening of this passage. It says, The word of the Lord which came to Jeremiah. Who's speaking to the Lord? 
Now, he's speaking to Jeremiah. The Lord. Lord. All right? We understand that? The Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. But then he says, Arise and go to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Wait on a second. Who's speaking to Jeremiah? The Lord. Right? Who's speaking to Jeremiah? Why does he have to go to the potter's house to hear his voice? Why couldn't he speak to him right there? His, he was already speaking to him. He was already talking to him. He's already talking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I want you to go to the potter's house so you can receive my word. Why send Jeremiah to the potter's house when the Lord was obviously already communicating with him? I don't know if you see the irony in that, but I see it. If he's already talking to me, why do I need to go somewhere to hear from him? While it is slightly humorous, I don't believe for one second that the Lord was just doing this to make it difficult for Jeremiah. God needed Jeremiah to be at a certain place, at a certain time, to see a certain set of circumstances, so he could make something clear to him. Listen, I believe that God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, so sharp that it can divide asunder of soul and spirit, even the joints and marrow of the bone, that it's so precise it can get right down to the nitty-gritty. And I believe it can speak to me anywhere. But I also believe that at some points in our lives, God wants to speak to us. And unless we get up and follow His direction, we're not going to hear His word. Unless we get up and move, we're not going to hear what He has to say. I want you to see the prophet Jeremiah would cry out for God's people, Israel, to repent. Follow along with me. Jeremiah would prophesy for years to the people of Israel. Repent, 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 repent. Destruction, destruction, destruction. Over and over and over again, he would prophesy this to the children of Israel. And I want to make an example of Jeremiah and what I'm getting at here. Jeremiah, for years, knew what God was going to do to the children of Israel. But when it finally came, when he finally saw it in Jeremiah chapter... Let me see. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 47, just listen. He said, fear and a snare came upon us. He's, He's finally looking at the destruction that had come to Israel. Desolation and destruction... Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and and ceaseth not without intermission. Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven, mine eye affecteth my heart because of all the daughters of my city. Now listen, the example I'm trying to draw here is that God had Jeremiah get up and move and go to a certain place so he could see an example of a potter working on a wheel. And until Jeremiah got up and went to that place and saw that potter working on the wheel, he was not getting the message that the Lord had for him. Sure, he was hearing his voice, but he was not getting the message. But when he got there, his eye affected his heart. The Lord shot darts of instruction to Jeremiah right at this point as he's looking at this potter's wheel. He said, this is what I want you to say. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to go about it. The message became clear.
Sometimes God wants us to get up and move. Because our eye affects our heart. The first A that I want you to pen in to your notes there is we need to attend to His Word. We need to attend to His Word. If we're to avoid a prophecy of destruction, we need to attend to the Word of God. And tonight I would, I would introduce the thought that simply listening to the Word of God is not enough. Sometimes we need to do. Sometimes we need to move. Sometimes we need to change perspective because our eyes affect our hearts. Jeremiah knew what was going to happen to Israel. He knew it. He prophesied it. He had first word from God. But it wasn't until that destruction actually came that he began to weep those tears without intermission because his eye saw what was happening. And church, listen up. Don't, listen, don't miss this. So important. We hear, and 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 we sit in our chairs, and we sit behind our Bibles, and we hear, and we hear, and we hear, and we hear so many times, over and over and over again, we hear what we should do. But we never open our eyes to see the message that He has for us. It never affects our hearts. It never affects our hearts. And you see, what leads the Laodicean church down a path of destruction is that they shut their eyes to their needs. They say, I am in need of nothing. Got it all. And I'm good. There's no spiritual correction that needs to change here. I'm I'm A-OK. But the fact is that God actually instructed them, you need to anoint your eyes with eye salve that you can see. So that you can see your need. So you can see what needs to take place. So you can see what needs to be changed in your life. I think it's about time that we as a church, if we're to avoid this prophecy of destruction, open our eyes to our needs. We need to see our daily need for God's grace. We need to see how easily we can fall into sin. We need to open our eyes and examine our hearts with the cry of David, Search me, O God, and know my hearts. Try try me and know my faults, I pray. See if there be any wicked way in me. We need to open our eyes. It's, It's enough of this hearing. It's enough of even knowing that is God's voice because there's too many messages preached without change. That's how we become the Laodicean church. By not opening our eyes to our needs. I can recall in 2006 very clearly a trip that I took to Israel. A trip that I will never forget. Not because of what a tour guide told me. Although there was lots of good stuff. Not because of instruction that I was given or things that I learned that I'd never heard. I went to Israel with a pretty solid knowledge of the Bible. Had been in Bible college for several couple years already. The knowledge I gained in Israel isn't what's going to keep me from forgetting it. It's the things I saw. See, when I was in Israel, I knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane next to an olive tree that was over 2,000 years old, and I prayed. I walked down the Via Della Rosa. 
the way of suffering, the path that Jesus walked on his way to Calvary. I will never forget those stones. I stood in Pontius Pilate's house in the chamber where Jesus would have been held and questioned. I'll never forget that little cell. I stood on the side of Mount Calvary and saw the place of the skull. And I saw that precious hill where Jesus Christ was crucified. I walked into a tomb known to be owned by Joseph of Arimathea and saw for myself that it was empty. I've stood on the side of Mount of Olives and looked into the same exact sky that disciples looked up into as Jesus ascended to heaven. I've stood on a perch overlooking the valley of Megiddo, the place of Armageddon, and watched where Jesus will ride back and the greatest and last battle will take place. I've stood at the eastern gate of Jerusalem where he will return as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. My friend, I will not forget that trip, not because of something I heard. I will not forget that trip because of something I saw. And we as a church, to avoid becoming the church of Laodicea, need to open our eyes and see where we need to change. See where our faults are at. Understand our weaknesses. We've got our eyes so tightly shut, we can't see our faults, let alone the things around us that need help and change. We've got our eyes so tightly shut, we don't see the lost that are dying every single day and going to hell without opening our mouths to utter a word of warning. It is because our eyes do not affect our hearts that we will become the church of Laodicea. Some will argue that what we call an altar is actually a hindrance to the church. In that it creates a place where we associate going to get right with God. And I can understand what they're saying, and believe me, I believe the word of God the same as you do, that the Lord dwells inside of me and that I am the temple and that I can go to him at any point. But listen to me well. Sometimes God wants us to get up and move. Yes. In order to solidify a message that he's trying to give to us. And as we come down to this old-fashioned altar, yeah, okay, I said old-fashioned altar. I know that that's such a, a faux pas. But as we come down to a place where we can kneel and pray, perspectives change a little bit. A message that we heard now becomes something that we see. We watch as our feet walk down the old trail and kneel at an altar where the Lord will just seal the deal on something for us. Make it so abundantly clear. I remember many times kneeling at an altar. Not that I had to be there to get it right, but because God wanted me to be there to get it right. I remember as an 18-year-old boy going the wrong direction in my life. Sure, coming to church just like everybody else, playing a part better than most even, but my heart was far from it. I remember kneeling at that altar and getting my heart right. I 
Remember the decision that the Lord sealed in my life, that I was, that I was going to give him my all. That was the decision. I was going to give him my all. Walking down to that, the Lord made the message that I had heard from that preacher that day at that youth revival. He made it stick by my eye affecting my heart. Two weeks later, I was in Bible college, and here I am today because of a message that was not simply just heard, but it was received through the eyeball. It affected my heart. So, first day, attend to his word. How to avoid become the prophecy of destruction, attend to his word. Secondly, this evening... I want you to notice in verse number 5, we've read up to verse number 4. In verse number 5, it says, O house of Israel, I cannot do with you as the, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instance shall I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced Turn from evil, I will repent of the evil that I have thought to do against unto them. And at what instant shall I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build and to plant it? If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. I want you to see something here. I want you to see how we need to apprehend His authority apprehend his authority. To apprehend something is to completely understand. The Lord was saying here to the children of Israel, I want you to know. Well, actually, he phrases it as a question. He says, at what instance shall I speak concerning a nation? At what instance shall I speak concerning a nation? I want us to apprehend this evening the power or his authority. I want to apprehend his authority. I have some Play-Doh in my hand. We're at a potter's house, remember? Jeremiah is looking at an illustration, something God wants him to see. And you know what the Lord wants him to see? O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Can I not build you up? Can I not pluck you down? If I promise that I'm going to help you, I can withdraw that promise if you choose to uh, follow iniquity. And if you're going to follow after iniquity, I'm going to punish you. But at the last moment, if you decide to repent, can I not turn back my hand? We need to understand tonight the authority of God. And with this question tonight, he is not really in so much as asking a question as he is in teaching a lesson. God has the authority and the power to form and fashion kingdoms and nations as he pleases, and individuals as well. He can do with us as he wishes. There is nothing to control him. There is nothing to stop him. It's it's as futile for the clay to fight against the potter as it is for us to say, God, you can't do that to me. I'm going to follow after my own path and there's nothing you can do about it. He says, ah, that's not how it works. I have complete and utter and supreme authority over you. He is in control. 
And he says, can I not do with you as this potter? He says the same thing to the, children, or to the church of Laodicea. He says, I have complete control. But if you'll repent and turn to me, I can restore you. And I want to restore you. And I will restore you. What the Lord makes clear here is that while we are the clay and he is the potter, sometimes imperfections will come out in the clay as the potter is turning it on the wheel. I'm not, I, listen very carefully because I've heard some people teach that the potter made a mistake, had to throw away the clay. It's not how it works. The potter makes no mistake. But as he is working with that clay and forming it and shaping it, Every once in a while, something that was buried deep inside the clay will reveal itself. And it's at this point that the potter has the responsibility, if he wants to continue to work on the dish, to remove it. But, sometimes the clay fights back. Sometimes the clay says, I don't want that removed. Is at this point that, listen, the potter can do nothing more with the clay until the clay will surrender back to the potter. But it is futile to fight against the potter because the longer that clay sits out, unchanged, unwilling to be molded, unwilling to be under the hand of that master potter, unwilling to be moistened by the, the sponge of that potter, the longer that clay sits out, as many parent has seen that lump of Play-Doh sitting on a, a kitchen table the day after it was played with, what happens to that Play-Doh? It becomes useless. It becomes hard. It becomes crusted over. It becomes lukewarm, good for nothing, but to be spewed out of the master's mouth. If we're to avoid becoming the church of Laodicea, we need to understand, we need to apprehend completely the authority of God, knowing that He wants to shape and mold us and form us into the image of His Son, but the moment we say that's off limits, the moment we say you can't touch, you can't touch that, you can't change that, it's hands off from the potter, and we are sending ourselves to our own demise. We are bringing upon ourselves our own destruction. We are creating in ourselves a lukewarmness that will fulfill the prophecy of destruction in our lives. We must remain sensitive and we must remain willing to let that potter pluck those imperfections and cut those imperfections and in some imperfections and in some cases even remove a large portion of that clay to get rid of that imperfection so that he can continue to mold us into the image of his son doesn't feel good we're not going to like it but it's necessary to avoid becoming this church of Laodicea but let me make something clear this evening apprehending the authority his authority is not just simply understanding that God is just, not simply understanding that God says this is right and this is wrong. If you do wrong, there's going to be punishment. If you do right, there's going to be blessing. That's not 
apprehending. You're not understanding the authority of God. To completely apprehend or understand the authority of God, we've got to understand not just that he is a lawgiver, but that he is good. We have got to understand his goodness. Because if God was just simply just, we would be in a heap of trouble as the clay. We'd have been off the wheel a long time ago. God would have balled us up without our permission, taken the junk out of our lives, and he would have started over. He is not simply just just, and he is not just simply supreme in his authority, but his authority, apprehending his authority, means that we understand that he is just, but that he is also good. That he is also good, that he is long-suffering, that he is patient. And that he says, if you will repent, if you will turn, if you will allow me to remove those imperfections from your life, I will change my prediction for you. I will change your end. I will not destroy you. You don't have to be the church of Laodicea. If you'll turn. But again, let's go back to the beginning. What is our tendency to be the church of Laodicea, Mr. Jurgen? To be the church of Laodicea. That's our tendency. We want to fight the potter. We don't want to have the imperfections removed. That is our natural tendency. And so that means that we have to be consciously aware of this. We have to be consciously aware that I could be doing something that's wrong that he wants to remove. Otherwise, we get in a status, a status of comfortableness where we feel like he's okay with everything we're doing. And it leads to the church of Laodicea. God's authority. He is just. He follows a very clear set of rules. He is just. But he is also good. And he wants us to turn. He wants us to change. But that's going to require us examining, us looking, us checking for the imperfections and saying, Lord, remove them. Go ahead. You have, you have it. You have my permission. Whatever it's going to take, go ahead. Remove it. Remove it. Remove it. Remove it. Otherwise, we become this church of Laodicea. The cry tonight to the church here at Community Baptist Temple, the cry of Jeremiah to the children of Israel, and the cry of the prophet John to the church of Laodicea is all the same. It's repent. 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 If you want to stay the judging hand of God, we must repent. If that's naturally who we are, then that means there's something that we must repent of, right? Um, we don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. No one wants to hear it. I know it's not comfortable. But it means there's things that must be changed. It means we have to come to a point of cognitive Cognitive ability to recognize that we must repent. Well, what am I repenting of, Lord? Ah, oh, that's the question. It's the million-dollar question because the church of Laodicea said, 
I'm in need of nothing. And the children of Israel said, I need nothing. And here we are today saying, what do I repent of? What, what, do, what do I need to repent of? What should I be? Is there not a very clear parallel? Is it not? It, can it be any more clear? If there is need for repentance, then there's something that needs to be gotten right, which implies that there is something wrong, which means we have to identify it. I have a laundry list. It's not hard for me. Some of us in the room, you can relate very clearly to that. But do you ever feel like, what am I supposed to be repenting of? The Lord speaks so often. He tries to tell us. But we don't attend to His Word. Because we don't attend to His Word, we never truly apprehend His authority. That He's good and wants to forgive us and wants to mold us and wants to help us. And we're not apprehending His authority. When we're not apprehending His authority, we are becoming the church of Laodicea. I don't want my clay to dry out here. My kids will be devastated. <laughs> Who wants to be the church of Laodicea? Who wants to be the children of Israel? We've got to do something different. I'm not saying that this is a horrible... I think this is the best church in the world. I've been in many churches. I've worked on staff at another church, and I've attended other churches in college and at home, and... I really do think this is the best church in the world. But we are the church of Laodicea. And we are prone to wander. We are prone to fail. We are prone to comfort. We are prone to feeling okay. So what needs to change? Is it in our separation from the world? Is it our dress standards, our entertainment, our music? Is it our identities as men and as women and the roles we play in our lives? Is it in our purity? There's a topic. The filth that we allow into our lives through our ears and through our eyes. Where is it? Because it's somewhere and it's got to be identified. And if it's not identified, we will become the church. Got the slow jazz going on over there. <laughs> Talk about filth. We need to attend to his word. We need to apprehend his authority. Verse number 11, look with me if you would. Now therefore go to... Speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, this, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you. Here's Jeremiah. He's been given his instructions. He's been told what to say. And God sends him and he says, God says to him, Now therefore go speak to the men of Judah. Here's your instructions, Jeremiah. 
Tell all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, and devise a device against you. Return ye now, again we see the goodness of God, return ye now, every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. That's the word through Jeremiah to the people. Now listen to the word of the people to Jeremiah. Verse number 18. Then said they, Come, and let us devise devices against Jeremiah. For the law shall not profit from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor word from the prophet. Come and let us smite him with the tongue. Let us not give heed to any of his words. Verse number 11, God sends Jeremiah to his people with a message. Verse number 18, the people respond to God's message by saying to Jeremiah, you say God's going to devise devices against us? Well, we're going to devise devices against you. In a summation, this is what the people of Israel are saying to Jeremiah. We have our counselors. We have our prophets. We have our preachers. We have our teachers. And they are telling us what we are doing is okay. And so as long as they are telling us as our prophets and our teachers and our preachers that we are doing okay, we're going to devise devices against you. You're saying that God is saying this? Well, we're going to smite you and we're going to tell the people not to heed a word of what you're saying. It's the same thing that the church in the end times will do as well. Heap unto themselves teachers having... Itching ears, the church of Laodicea did the same exact thing that the church of, or the people of Jerusalem. They said, we've got people telling us that we're A-okay. And as long as they're telling us that we're A-okay, then we're going to ignore you. The third A, if we're going to avoid becoming the church of Laodicea, avoiding the prophecy of destruction, is we need to accept his man. Here's the deal. They didn't view Jeremiah as God, his prophet, his direct line of communication to them. They said, we have our prophets and we have our teachers. We have our people, our counselors telling us what we need to do. And they're saying we're okay. Forget you. But none of those prophets or teachers or counselors were put in their positions of authority by God. They were elected by individuals. They were elected because they would tell the individuals what they wanted to hear. Isn't that what we do with our government? See how that's getting us. They tell us what we want to hear. We put them in office and they turn around and do the other thing. It's a mess. That's what the church of Laodicea did. They heaped them to themselves, teachers having itching ears. The people of Jerusalem, they got all the, the teachers that would tell them what they wanted to hear, but none of them were appointed by God. And that's where we fall into problems here. That's how we'll fulfill a prophecy of destruction when we don't accept his man. God has placed our pastor here. God has placed him in a position of authority here. God has placed him as the director of this body of Christ. God has placed him as the under-shepherd to this flock. God has placed him here. And he stands with a message... 
And as long as we believe that God is true, and we believe that God's word is true, and as long as we believe that God directs and, 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 and uh, turns the rivers of water whithersoever He willeth, uh, as long as we believe that God's the one ultimately in control, then we must believe that He has placed Him here in a position of authority. God is giving him the wisdom to establish the leadership roles in this church. God is giving him the message that he preaches from this pulpit. And God is giving him the vision for where this ministry should go. But when we say, ah, I'm not going to so much accept it, I don't really like what he's saying because I don't really like the direction. He, no, nothing spiritual. No, no, I'm not talking about a doctrinal issue. You're not going to find it with pastor. You're not going to find a doctrinal problem. But what you might find is how you don't like what he's doing in a, in, in a certain area. And that's how we'll become the church of Laodicea because we're not going to accept God's man. We're not going to accept the direction that he gives as from God. We're not going to accept the message that he gives as from God. We're going to say as his pastor, he's just got his own ideas about things. Yeah, he's got his own ideas. You know where they came from? Hmm. Too often churches in this day and age respond to direction, preaching, or the administrative handling of a church as though the pastor is just doing whatever he wants. Ignore the fact that he was placed here by God. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a problem in our church. I'm not necessarily saying it isn't a problem in our church. But either way, what I'm definitely saying is that if we're going to avoid this prophecy of destruction, we need to make sure that we accept the man that is behind this pulpit as the man of God. And listen, I'm not saying that here because I've got to stroke his ego or defend his honor. I don't need to do either. But I do know that my pastor is fighting battles. Battles that I don't face. He, fight, he fights battles on a personal level, yes, but he fights battles on a ministry level that we don't understand. And I know that sometimes my pastor's hands might get weary in battle. And sometimes he needs some men to come up beside him, to hold his hands up and say, Pastor, we know it's from God. Pastor, we don't always like it. Pastor, it doesn't rub us the right way. Pastor, we don't understand why you're organizing your ministry this way. But sometimes we need to get up beside him and say, we got your hands, preacher. We got your hands. We're going to hold them up. I'm an assistant pastor, and I'll tell you this principle. You're not going to get me to change from this. You're not going to get me to badmouth my pastor. You come to me, you've got a problem with him. I'm going to tell you to go talk to him. And if you don't talk to him, I'm going to talk to him. This is, you're not going to find a person that believes this principle more than I do. I love my preacher, and I know that he's been placed here by God, and I'm going to help, and I'm going to... I'm going to uh, encourage, and I'm going to be right alongside to get dirty with him. I'm going to be there to hold his hands up, and tonight I'm making a plea and a cry to this church. Get beside your preacher and hold up his hands. I know you may not like some things, but is it because he's doing something wrong, or is it because of the tendency of the Laodicean church? To heap unto ourselves teachers having itching ears. You know who that challenge was given to? It was given in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You know who that challenge was given to? It wasn't given to the church. It was given to pastors. It was saying, hey, pastors, stick in there. 
Because in the last days, men are they're going, to be, they're going to be loving themselves. They're going to be going after their own flesh. They're going to be wanting to do what they want to do. And they're not going to like what you have to say. And so they're going to heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. Because they don't want to hear from you. Or ultimately, they don't want to hear from God. He said, he's getting angry about this. Maybe a little bit. No more angrier than, or fervent than I was about any of the other two points. Because every single one of these things lead to the destruction of the church. See, when we turn our ears and don't want to listen as though God is speaking directly through our pastor, we are becoming the church of Laodicea. You got a problem with something pastor says as he's preaching? Go ask him why he preached it. You want to change something in your life? Make sure it's backed up by the Word of God the same as you expect your preacher to back his messages with the Word of God. I'm getting a lot of lukewarm stares. Complacency. I'm just going to call how I see it. It's not just towards this point, although I definitely feel a little kink. But all three of these things so far. But when's it going to change? Because if it doesn't change, we become that hardened clay, and we become the clay that never will change. And eventually that just hand of God will have to come down. Eventually we will become the church of Laodicea. Eventually we will be that lukewarm ministry that is spewed out of the mouth of God if nothing changes. So finally tonight, not only do we need to attend his word or apprehend his authority, accept his man, but we need to amend our direction. We need to amend our direction. In verse number 12, it says, And they said, here's their response. This is the children of Israel. And they said, there is no hope. What's the point? You're saying that God's going to destroy us anyway? Fine, we're just going to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. How many times have you stood at a door and heard somebody say, I'm going to hell when I die. I'm going to party with all my friends. We look at them and we say, foolish. Amen. And rightly so. When's the last time you looked at yourself and said, fool? Because we don't change. Not often enough. Not quickly enough. Not to the degree that we've been challenged to. Sure, sometimes we change just in a little bit here. You ever done that, Brother Jake? You ever change just a part of something? Yeah. Sorry to point you out like that. I've done it too. We're going to avoid becoming this church. We need to amend our direction. They said there is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices. Verse number 12, Jeremiah 18. There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will, everyone, do the imagination of his evil heart. What did it say in Revelation chapter 3? I'm good. I'm going to do what I want to do. 
I have no need of anything changing. I'm okay. Church, to amend something is to change it, to alter it, to correct it. Church, I keep saying church because that's who we are. We're this body of believers, potentially to become the church of Laodicea. We're the called out assembly, separated for a good work. So church tonight, we hear so much and do so little. Because we've shut our eyes and not allowed God's message to get through to our hearts. Repent. Repent is the cry. We must attend to His Word. Not just be satisfied in our spiritual lives enough where we can sit under the preaching of God's Word and walk out the same way that we came and feel that we've got it done. We've got it down pat. Not just listen to God's Word. We need to be ready to move into a position where His message gets through. Attend to God's Word. We need to apprehend His authority that it is just and it is swift, but He will stay His hand for repentant people. We need to understand and we need to accept the man of God as just that, the man of God. We need to amend our direction. Obama, President Obama, he ran on a promise to the people. Right? Hope. Change that you can hope in. And we know where that landed us. But spiritually, the kind of changes that we make are more like our president than what God is calling for. The changes we make are more often towards the world. Looking more like it. Talking more like it. Bringing more of it into our churches. Bringing more of it into our entertainment. Bringing more of it into our families and our homes and our roles. Introducing more of it to our young people. And infiltrating their minds. Allowing the devil to infiltrate their minds. You can talk a good talk. I can talk a good talk. And I can sit here and preach. You can sit there and listen. Or you could get up and teach and somebody else could listen. But really, the foolishness of preaching, it's no good without changed hearts. But it is the foolishness of preaching that will change lives if you will receive the message. So church, tonight we have a question. We have a challenge. The question is first, do we want to be the church of Laodicea? Or the people of Israel, whichever one you want to pick. 
Do we want to fulfill the prophecy of destruction? Or will we change? Will we repent? Will we let... Will we be doers of the word and not hearers only? I'm going to ask Ms. Jen to come to the piano and ask everyone to bow your heads and stand with me if you would.